Thank you for being here. Uh, we're, we're very honored that you're with us this morning. We're in a great place in Scripture. We're in the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. And I would love for you to turn there because so many of you have had uh, uh, questions concerning this event in times. About this, the millennium. The, it is called the thousand year reign of Christ. And I would like to, to kind of ease your minds about some of the things that are taking place at this time and who is there and for what purpose. Uh, so many of you have asked, uh, what is going on? Where did all of these people come from? And, and uh, what is going to happen to them? And, and then at the end of a thousand years, we, we're, we're told here clearly that Satan is let loose and he again deceives people and and as we're going to see in a moment, the number of people he, he deceives and, and rebel with him are like the sand of the seashore. How does that happen? What in the world took place? Well, I want to share with you, uh, this, this. let me just share with you a little bit about my practice. So I've told some of you this before, but the, the church here gives me, affords me the opportunity to study quite hard and quite a lot. And, and what I do is I usually get my message done by Thursday sometime Friday. And uh, when I'm done with it, I, I usually just put it aside, leave it in my computer, won't print it out until Saturday. And what I normally do on Saturday morning is I'll get up, uh, kind of splash some water in my face, put on some sweats, and go into my office and open up the computer and look at the message and, and just read more commentary. See if there's, there's something else that, that is missing, something that is that I've, I've missed in, in, in my study or something that can add to it. And I was reading through a commentary, and I don't remember who, but I remember looking at Isaiah. I was, you know, it said, turn to Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20, talking about the millennium, talking about the people that go into the millennium. Listen to what Isaiah says about this time in history. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. And, or an old man who does not live out his days. The youth will die at the age of 100. The youth will die at the age of 100. And the one who does not reach the age of 100 shall be thought accursed. And so as we move into this place called the millennium, you'll need to know that there, there are people that are going into it that will live long on this earth in this particular time, and they will... Some will be married. Some will then marry during this time. They will have children. Their children will have children. And on and on it goes. And this is a very amazing time in, in, the, in the future of, of, uh, of this earth on which we live. Where we have come right now is face to face with one of the most amazing events of all of Scripture. And it seems fitting that it would come at, at this particular time, right after Easter Sunday, for this begins the new beginning, the, the first resurrection it is called in verse 5. It is called the 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ upon this earth, known as the millennium. But for this event to take place, we're going to see that Satan must be bound for a thousand years. Why? Well, as we're going to read in verse 3, so that Satan should not deceive the nation or the people any longer. Read with me, please, in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. John writes, And, and I saw an angel coming down from heaven, 
having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he should not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then John writes, I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. Judgment was given to them. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast nor his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. An amazing place. What does it mean to you and me? Well, I want to try to explain it to you so that you get an understanding of what does this time in the future mean. What does it mean in in all that is going on around? And what does all of this mean to us today? Let's pray. Let's ask God to show us. Father, I pray for that very thing, that you would open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. I pray, Father, that you would bless us, that, that you would speak to each of us, and that you would, Father, do within our hearts, whatever it is you deem necessary for this moment. And Father, I pray that I pray every week that you would move me aside so that I might not get in way or hinder anything that you want to say to any of us, myself included. We've come here, Father, some of us for many different reasons. We've come maybe to be comforted. We've come, maybe, Father, to investigate, to understand a little bit more. We've come for various reasons. And so I do ask, Father, sincerely ask that you would move me aside so that I would not hinder what you would want to say to anyone, including myself. And so, Father, please, bless your word. Bless it as we study it faithfully, Father. Move upon our hearts as only you can. We, we ask this, Father, in the name of of your Son, our most precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to share with you something that's a rabbit trail. It's, it has nothing to do with Revelation chapter 20, but I, I pray every week, and, and some of you have asked, why do you pray, move me out of the way? Well, I pray, move me out of the way, so that I won't hinder what God wants to say to you. I, I really want to be out of the way of what God is doing. Plus, I want to move myself aside so that I might by the grace of God, hear what he is saying through me at this time to where it can minister to my soul. And so I really want to be out of the way. Some of you said, oh, don't, don't ask him that. Well, I really want to move out of the way. I really want the Lord to speak to us. The other thing that I say all the time is, open up our eyes, Lord, that we might behold wonderful things from our law. And I, I want to share with you, if I hadn't before, where that comes from. A long time ago, a fellow by the name of Billy Zioli, his father was Anthony Zioli. 
Anthea Zoli was a, a man that was in his 90s at the time. I'm not sure exactly where he was in the 90s, but he was, he was well up there in age. And he had become a Christian while he had been in prison. He was, uh, uh, obviously, this was a long time ago, he was in prison, and, and he was in a very rugged, rugged place. His, he was in solitary confinement, as I remember it, because, as I remember, he had killed someone. Um, he was a very, very bad man. And so they had him locked up in solitary confinement, and there was no windows, as he told me, in his cell. And he said the only way that he had any kind of light was there was a little hole up on the top that, that the sun would shine through. And then at night, there was another hole on the, on the door that would shine the light through at night, that he had some light. During his time in prison, he was given a Bible. And he started to read the Bible. And how he would read it, it was so dark in the room that he couldn't read it clearly. But, it, but when the sun shined through, it would shine into the room. And he would put the sun right on the page that he wanted to read in the words. And he would move it along so he could read it word by word by word by word. And he eventually memorized the New Testament, he told me. He put to memory a lot of the Bible. And so I was asked by Billy, his son, who was a part of Gospel Films, to interview him. And they were going to put him on video so that he, people could listen to his uh, testimony and could listen to why and how he studied the Bible. And while I was talking to him, it, it, the roles got reversed somehow, some way. He started interviewing me. He started asking me uh, about my faith. He asked me how I came to Christ, uh, what that meant to me. And he asked me... When I go to the Bible, what do I think of? What do I do when I go to the Bible? And, and it was he that took me to Psalms 119, verse 18, that says, Open up my eyes so that I might behold wonderful things from your law. He asked me, Do I memorize Scripture at all? And I told him I try. I get kind of the general idea of it. And he said, When you open up the Bible and read it, he said, I would encourage you never to go to your Bible and read it without quoting that verse to the Lord. Open up my eyes so that I might behold wonderful things from your law. And I have written in my Bible under Psalms 119 verse 18 the name Anthony Zioli. Because he encouraged me to, to memorize scripture and he encouraged me to get to know this, the Bible that we read and enjoy. And so... I say that verse almost every week so that you might kind of get what I'm saying and it might register in your heart so that you might memorize it. And so that you might, when you read your Bible during the week and when you study and just kind of go to the Lord to, to find out something that He wants to say to you that you might say to Him, Lord, open up my eyes so that I might behold wonderful things from Your law. And watch God reveal his word to you as you do that. And so that is why I pray that way. And I, I shared it last night, and I thought I'd share it with you this morning as well. We've come face to face to an amazing place in Scripture, people. The millennium. Before we get into this chapter, I want you and me to understand something that is very important and that has been asked of me concerning this this place in Scripture. Let me, import, let me start by asking you a very important question. Do you believe 
that there is going to be sin on earth during this 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth with these people? Well, let me tell you the answer. The answer is yes. That should not surprise you or me because many people did not believe in Jesus Christ when he walked the earth before. We see many will not believe if we read on in this chapter. If you look at verses 7 and 8, when the thousand-year reign of, 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 of the millennium is over with, Satan is going to be released, it says in verse 7. And he's going to come out and deceive the nations. He's going to deceive people. And they are going to gather together to do war with God, the people he deceives who are on the earth during the millennium, during the thousand years. And John writes in verse 8, the number of them at the end of that verse is like the sand of the seashore. Amazing. Amazing how many people fell away from the Lord during this time. At this point, going into the millennium, every person who goes into the millennium are believers. Every one. How do we know? Well, we have studied it before in, in this great book, Revelation chapter 12, verses 6 and 14. We are told in that chapter that there are those who have trusted in Christ and the great tribulation is going to begin and Satan is trying to destroy everyone who has come to Christ. And we are told in Revelation 12, verses 6 and 14, that our Lord came and protected those people and he prepared a place for them that he might nourish them and protect them, it says in verse 6, for 1,260 days or three and one-half years or 42 months. In other words, the last half of the tribulation called the Great Tribulation. So the Lord nourishes and protects these believers and then at the time of the millennium, He brings them all into the millennium to live when He reigns upon this earth. Now these protected believers who go into the millennium, uh, some are married, some will get married during the millennium, they will have children, they will live normal lives, their children will grow and, and have children, and on and on it goes for these 1,000 years. And those who are born to believing parents, some, if not many, will not believe or trust in Jesus Christ, even with Him there with them. Now, since there's going to be sin on this earth, that is proven, even with Jesus Christ there in their midst, and with Satan and his demons on hold in the abyss, not able to deceive people during this 1,000 years, then where in the world does sin of rebellion come from that deceives so many? As John says, those that rebel are like the sand of the seashore against God. And here John and the Holy Spirit teach us the truth of sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, well, in 3.23 it says, For all of us have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God goes on to say in Romans 6.23, 
that the wages of our sin is, right, death. The wages of sin is death. That verse doesn't stop there by the grace of God. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And in that statement, we see what real Christianity, what real religion, real denominations, what it is really all about, this faith in Christ. It is trusting in Him. All of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of our sin is death. But, but, God has given you and me a gift, a free gift, eternal life in His Son, Jesus Christ. I believe God wants us to know that it is not Satan who makes us sin, but it is man's rebellious nature without God. God teaches us this by placing Satan in the abyss for a thousand years, and then we see once he is released, still many unbelievers will rebel with him against God. We will see that next week. True, Satan can create the environment which entices sin, but the sin nature is already in an unbeliever. He does not make you and me do wrong. Look, as an unbeliever, for you to try to stop whatever it is that you are doing, an unbeliever, for you to try to stop what you are doing wrong by, a, by the will, by the strength of your will, I'm telling you, you'll never succeed. Ever, never succeed. I want to teach us that today. And for the believer, when we sin, it comes from a place that, that Paul speaks of. Listen, listen to Paul. Paul says to believers, wretched man that I am, Who's going to set me free from this body of death? And the answer, clear. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind, I'm serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. But note the liberating words that come right after that in the next chapter. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 of the book of Romans. Paul writes, there is therefore now... No condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ, note, has set you and me, has set the believer in Jesus Christ free from the law of sin and death. All Christians are set free, yet some, I believe, do not realize it nor live it out because their sin keeps them out and from this freedom and I wrote this for us, for you and for me. It is my, this church's deepest desire, and it is our purpose as a church to help you and me realize and live out this freedom. And it only comes through a consistent, consistent study of this, the Word of God, and by walking by the Spirit of God. By a choice that you and I make to love and to 
walk with our Lord and to grow in our faith and trust in Him. You see, in, in Romans 8, verse 3, Paul writes, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. How? Well, he did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. In other words, what we studied, what we talked about last week, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He sent his son as an offering for sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh. You see, Christians, so many are of us are in unnecessary bondage due to our, our sin and wish to blame Satan or others for what they do themselves. You know, it reminds me of that old comedian. Most of you here don't remember a guy named Flip Wilson. But he used to, do you, some of you? Remember he used to dress up as a, a woman, I think it was Geraldine or Justine or something like that? And, and said she would, he would say, acting like her, he said, well, I bought this dress. And he said, the devil made me do it. You know, that was, that was his response. The devil made me do it. When in fact, it is our own sin that makes us sin. We can't blame Satan. And what has happened here in chapter 20 of the book of Revelation proves that clearly. Many rebel. Many rebel. And so I want to inform you, if you've come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it isn't Satan and the demons who are harassing you. It is your own desire. And Jesus Christ came to set you and me free from that by a consistent study of the Word of God, eating, reading, moving upon the Word of God on, on a daily basis. Father, open up my eyes so that I might behold wonderful things from your law. I really encourage you, as this church does, to, to do a daily reading. Get on a daily reading that you might ask the Lord to teach you whatever it is that he wants to teach you. Now, true, Satan will give us the environment. He makes sin easily attainable through deception. But we are the ones who choose to sin. And Revelation chapter 20 proves just that out. As we see in verses 1 and 2, Satan is thrown into the abyss. And so begins the kingdom of Jesus Christ upon this earth. Let me review, because um, you afforded me a wonderful privilege, and that was to go back to Texas and, and bury one of my dearest friends. That, that was now three or four weeks ago. And Rob Selig did such an amazing job teaching for two of the weeks. And then we had Easter, and now we're back in the book of Revelation. And I want to review with you that, that we hold, at least I do, the doctrine of premillennialism here. We, that, that means that, that I believe there is a literal thousand-year reign of Christ coming. We also hold to, uh, to the doctrine of pre-tribulationists. In other words, the church shall be raptured before the tribulation begins. Now, I, I hold all of that with pencil. You need to know that. I, I'm, I'm, I believe this is the truth. I believe this is what, what I've studied and know. But, but I am always open to what God is teaching all of us. And so I take literally that there shall be a time of tribulation that is coming, seven years in length, and also a time afterward called the thousand-year reign of Christ, 
And during that time of tribulation, we, the church, believers in Jesus Christ, will not go through the tribulation. We will be taken up and raptured to be with our Lord in heaven. Now what do we see? We see in verses 1 and 2 that Satan is thrown into this abyss. He's under lock and key. And by the way, the abyss is not hell. It's just a a place of waiting. Hell comes later, as we'll learn in this chapter in verse 14. Hell is called the lake of fire. It is called the second death. And so in verses 2 and 3, what we see are four things happening to Satan. He is bound for a thousand years. He is thrown into this place called the abyss. It is shut over him. He cannot get out. He is sealed there, but... In a thousand years, he's going to be released. He is bound, it says in verse 3, so that he would not deceive the nation or the people any longer, not until the thousand years are completed. Now, why God turned Satan loose, I don't know. But I do believe this. This is my belief. This is not doctrine. This is what I believe. I, I believe in a nutshell. It's so he is to separate the believers from the unbelievers. You see, without evil, without evil to contend against, you and I could not truly show our love for God or our obedience to Jesus Christ. And so now we come to a very important place. In verse 4, we see that John says he saw thrones On the thrones, he saw they. Now, who are they? I want to show you in a moment. Who are they that sat upon these thrones and judgment was given to them? And then he goes on to say more about those who are on the thrones. Well, Scripture allows us to see who they are. In Revelation chapter 4, in verse 4, we saw that there were 24 elders who were seated upon the throne and they were clothed in white garments. Now, if you recall, we studied and taught that those 24 elders are the church, us. Those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and because of His blood, we have been washed clean. We have garments that are as white as snow. But Scripture allows us to see more about who they are In the Old Testament, Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 18, it is the saints of the Holy One who will receive the kingdom and they will possess the kingdom forever for all the ages to come. And so we see those who reign are called saints. In this case, they are Old Testament saints who possess the kingdom of God forever. Now, if you turn to the New Testament, the book of Matthew, the, 20, the 19th chapter, verse 27 through 29, we see that Peter asks Jesus Christ a question. He says to him, Behold, we've left everything to follow you. And then he asks him a question that I don't understand why Peter even considered asking it. Basically, he said, What is in it for us? I mean, I don't even, I can't comprehend that question. I mean, coming to Christ and and knowing that you and I have everlasting, eternal life, what else is there in it for us? But, but, But Peter asks that question, what is there in it for us? 
To which Jesus Christ answers him in verse 28, saying, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me, that takes in all of us, in the regeneration when the Son of Man comes, he will sit on his glorious throne, and the Lord says, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then Jesus Christ makes a promise to everyone who follows him, saying, everyone who has done all these things will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. What a glorious promise that our Lord has given to you and me as believers. And so we saw in Daniel that Old Testament saints will reign with our Lord. We see in Matthew that New Testament saints will and followers of Jesus Christ shall also reign with him upon these thrones. And we see in the Old Testament saints that reign, the New Testament, but who else is there? Is there anyone else? Well, in John chapter, excuse me, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4, we see that John saw more. He saw the souls, at the middle of verse 4, the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast nor his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hands and they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. These, of course, are those that have gone through the tribulation who did not accept the, the mark on their foreheads or their hands and they did not worship the image of the beast. These are the ones that died because of their faith during the tribulation period. So those who are they, who sat upon the thrones to reign with our Lord, are Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, and all who have come to Christ during the tribulation period. In other words, everyone will reign with him who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So as verse 4b states, glorious verse, at the very end, it says, they came to life. That's, that's an exciting verse. The words, they came to life, is a resurrection term. It is the same words that are used in John chapter 11, when Jesus Christ came into the village, and in the village of Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus, who has died Martha meets Jesus as he comes into their village and she is begging for her brother's earthly life, that the Lord would bring him back to life. And Jesus said to her in verse 25 of John chapter 11, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me shall live even if they die. And then Jesus went on to say in verse 26, And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks her, and in essence he is asking us, Do you believe this? To which she answers in verse 27, Yes, Lord. Yes. She says, I have believed that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are He who has come into the world. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ is manifested here in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, as He raises all who have died in His name. Old Testament, New Testament, tribulation saints, all who walked with Him will reign with Him during this 1,000 year time of this earth. 
And then in Revelation chapter 20, verses 5 and 6, comes a very sad statement. It says in verse 5, the rest of the dead, the rest of the dead did not come to life. They didn't come to life, it says, until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection, those that came to life. Blessed and holy, it says in verse 6, are the ones who have a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and of Christ. They will reign with Him for a thousand years. Who are the rest? Mentioned in verse 5, they are those who do not come to life until the 1,000 years were completed. These are the people who die without trusting in Jesus Christ. They too shall have a resurrection. And it will be seen as we will study next week in, in verses 11 through 15. And you do not want to be numbered in that group or to be a part of that resurrection. These are the ones we will learn about next week whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life. By the way, if you have anybody that is searching about this thing called Christianity, next week might be a, a great time to bring them. The time that we study through this place in Scripture because it'll be a time of, well, what Karen was explaining to us about evangelism, about sharing the wonders of Jesus Christ and how you too can know Him. And so that's the question, really, of questions this, this morning. Do you know Him? Do you feel the call of Christ on your heart? Do you feel Him tugging at you? He's asking for you to trust and believe in Him, to, to come to know Him as your Lord and your Savior. If you hear that still, quiet voice, the very reason I ask the Lord, move me out of the way, I don't want to, I, I don't want to misrepresent anything you're saying to the people here. If you hear that voice, come. Trust in Him. For the rest of us who know Him, He is saying to us that we don't have to live and wallow in this, this sin anymore that, that we get entangled in. We, we've been set free from that. By the grace of God, we have been set free. And so you and I need a, a, a consistent study in the Word of God, not from Sunday to Sunday, but from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that you would, Saturday, that you and I would open up our Bibles and read and allow the Lord to open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds so that we might behold wonderful things from His law, so that He might minister to us and, 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 and teach us more about this wonderful journey called Christianity and living for Him on a daily basis, inside church, outside of church, wherever we may be. If you've not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sin, we beg of you, come to Christ. In a moment, I'm going to close in prayer, and, and, and the pastors will be up here for if, if any of you, whether, whether you've just come to Christ or, or, or whether you've been a Christian for quite some time and you just want some prayer and you want to 
talk to someone about that. Or if you have a question about the message and, and, and you want to try to pull some things together, we want to be up here to, to talk with you. We want to do this on a regular basis. We want to get to know you and you to get to know us and want to pray for you. And so if there's someone here that's come to Christ, we will love to, to talk with you. If there's someone here who's been a Christian for quite some time and you just want to have somebody pray for you or, or just want to talk to one of us about whatever, please come forward and talk to us. We want to do that for you. So let's close in prayer. And, and if I forget, let me tell you right now how much I love you. I want to thank God for being a part of this church and, and who you are and all that God is doing here in our midst. Thank you for last Easter Sunday. It was glorious. Absolutely glorious. Father, thank you, for, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that we can uh, trust you, Father, for your kindness and to lead us and to guide us. And Lord, I pray that if there is a soul here that, that you have kind of spoken to their hearts, that they, they hear your call, that you would... Uh, Allow them to accept you as their Lord and Savior at this moment in time and, and come and talk to us. And for those of us here, Father, we've, we've known you for some time now, whether it be days, weeks, months, or years. There might be some of us here that need to, uh, to deal with something in our lives. We need to talk to a pastor, someone that might pray for us and just uh, be a friend at this point in time. Whichever it is, Father, I pray that you would bring us to come forward that we might help talk with one another. So Lord, thank you so much for this day. God bless it, please. And God bless each of us wherever you might take us. And Father, would you watch over us, I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I love you all so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here.